Great words. <clears throat> Good morning. There are a lot of things that divide Christians, and we're going to look at common causes that unite Christians. Think about community. Communion is unity when people are rooted in the same beliefs. So when people are united in the same beliefs, we might call that communion. We might refer to it as being of one mind. When people are of one mind with respect to God, there is a verse Paul talks about. It says, it was he, referring to Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's In this context, it's describing when Jesus rose from the dead. And it's likened to the coronation of a king, the inauguration of a king. So the king steps up into his throne. And that's the way we're to see when Jesus dies and rises from the dead and he rises into heaven and he rises to a heavenly throne where he assumes his role as king of the universe. And normally when a king ascends to the throne, the king receives gifts. Dignitaries from other countries, they give gifts, they give presents, and that's a way of recognizing the new king. And differently, in, in distinction from that, Jesus, when he rose, he didn't receive gifts. It says he gave them. He gave gifts to men rather than receive gifts. And then the passage talks about the gifts that Jesus Gave He gave some apostles, and he gave some prophets, and he gave some evangelists, and he gave some pastors and teachers. Jesus' first gifts equipped and empowered messengers to speak on his behalf, to transmit divine messages. Other gifts would follow, gifts of hospitality, gifts of giving, gifts of leadership. But the first gifts, the foundational gifts, allowed or equipped God's message to be transmitted into the hearts and minds of his children. Uh, This revelation that would be prompted by these gifted speakers and teachers would promote unity in the faith. And that's what unity in the faith is supposed to be about. There are some things, some promises that are supposed to be central. And what happens then is we identify the things that are central and we all put our faith in them. That provides us with a unity. And uh, these things have to be the major things, the primary things, not the little things, not how you do this or how you do that, not the minors, but the major things. Um, God understands that serving him is rooted in knowing him. And when you think of it, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? That in order to serve somebody, it really helps you if you know them. And so in order to serve God, we, we are to know him. This is why God's priority is to send individuals to speak clearly. There's a passage in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It said the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him. 
and his own righteousness sustain him. At the time that this is being written, about 700 years before Christ came, um, there was a real lack of virtue and justice in Israel. They were moral flatliners. Uh, when God looked at the moral depravity that characterized Israel at the time, he didn't like it, naturally. It's not hard for us to understand. He was displeased that there was no justice. There is something, however, that evokes a stronger reaction. He sees that there's no justice, no truth, no honesty, no morality. He's displeased that those things, but he looks and he sees something, and that thing he sees, he is more taken back with than the absence of virtue. What in the world could be more disturbing than an absence of virtue, morality, peace, justice? But it says he saw that there was no one to speak to the Israelites on his behalf. And that's what he saw as appalling. In the middle of a lack of virtue, there was no one who was saying to people the things that God wanted to tell them. So it was like a revelatory blackout. This is the issue that caused God to be appalled. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. He was displeased that there was no justice and appalled that there was no one to intervene. God is concerned with the absence of virtue in our world. He is. However, he's more concerned with the shortage of individuals, apparently, to and through whom he can reveal himself. So I guess this is the deal. Injustice isn't the root of the problem. Injustice is the fruit of the problem. The root of the problem is the absence of one mind. That we don't either understand the things that we are to believe in together, or we understand it and can't do it, but that's the issue. And sometimes the lack of knowing is the fault of those tasked to present the message who don't do so clearly. Maybe who focus more on behavior than belief. You cannot be united if the focus is on behavior. That's why the ones that Jesus dispatched are supposed to tell the gospel, which is the good news. Um, God's strongest reaction is directed against those who are tasked to speak on his behalf but misrepresent him. Um, so God's foundational concern, we hear this a lot, but I believe it's true. God's foundational concern, his priority, is with our believing, not our behaving. Because behaving is rooted in believing. What we believe will impact how we behave. What we believe will directly um, either establish or minimize our ability to be united. Uh, believing is foundational. Gospel. We talk about gospel. Gospel is good news to believe. That's what gospel is. You hear today about news and this fake news and real news, but the thing you do with news is you obey it. No, you don't obey news, do you? You listen to news, sometimes the news, but what news is about, it's about telling you things. And what do you do with news? You know, sometimes you believe it and sometimes you don't, but news is a belief thing. And what the good news is, it's Things that we are supposed to believe. So here's the question. What's the good news? 
Let me put that to you. What's the good news? What is it that God tells us to believe? Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. We're Gentiles. If you are a Jew in the first century, the world is divided into Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's dispatched by God then to say things in such a way that Gentiles like you and I, we can kind of get it. And that's what why we kind of tune into Paul. Uh, we discover what in Paul's letter to the Colossians, what God accomplished via the cross. And we're going to find two things this morning. And these are big things that if we believe it, believe it makes us Christians. God reconciled us when we were bad. And God revived us when we were dead. Again, these, this is news. And this is gospel, and so this is news that God would have us believe. Let's talk about it a little bit. Um, God reconciled us when we were bad. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, what did God accomplish on the cross? It says he has reconciled you through Christ, by Christ's physical body, through death. What did God accomplish on the cross? Here's Paul's answer. One word, reconciliation. So if you try to find what is it that Jesus does on the cross, what is all this about? Why did he send him? It's about reconciliation. He reconciled us um, through the cross. What does reconcile mean? To reconcile is to end a relationship of enmity and to substitute for it one of peace and goodwill. If you do something to offend me, and I'm angry, and you understand that I'm angry. And let's say that I don't want to carry a grudge. I'm tired of us passing on other sides of the street. So I send a letter. I said, hey, man, you know what? I know that you did this, and I reacted. But I'm telling you, I, I want us to, I want things to be okay. Okay, so that would be my initiating reconciliation. You did something, I kind of got ticked off at it. I thought about it. I said, you know what? I don't want to carry this. And so I send you a letter. And if you read this letter and you believe it, yeah, that's Mike's writing. Then you know what happened? We've been reconciled. And if you see me, you'll think, oh, he's mad. no, he's not mad anymore. And so, hey, Mike, hi, hey, how you doing? And hey, how you doing? And, and so the relationship is repaired. That's what reconciliation is about. It's about the person who is offended they indicate that they don't want there to be a gap in the relationship anymore. That's what reconciliation is. It's a concept that was never used by Greeks and Jews in a religious context. It was never used with religion. You know why? It wasn't believed that God was interested enough in a personal relationship even use the word. It was seen that God, yeah, God doesn't reconcile because God's not that relational. You know what Paul does? When Paul tries to explain to Gentiles, to us, 
what happened at the cross? He takes this word, reconciliation, he dusts it off, and he puts it someplace it was never placed in a religious context and says that's what God did, that we, because of things that we've done, have this deep sense that God's ticked off at us. That's why when we think of him, we kind of, we'd like to be warmer towards him, but we kind of don't feel very warm towards him because of what we've done. And you know what God has done at the cross? He did the virtual equivalent of what I did in that letter. Saying, listen, I know that there is alienation and there's distance, but I don't want the distance to, I don't want the distance to be there. That's why I put my son on the cross. You to see him and understand I am not holding things against you anymore, and I don't want you to be afraid of me. That's what happened at the cross. Um, Paul is the only one to use it to describe what happens. And you know why he used it? So the Gentiles like us could get it. Before reconciliation, look what it says. We were alienated and enemies. Alienated means to be estranged. Can you think of somebody that you once were really good friends with? Think of somebody, think of somebody you were really good friends with and that you had a fight and that you're not friends with anymore. You're estranged. You know, they text you, you don't text them back. You know, they email you, you you don't talk. You know what I mean? That's what alienation means. It's estrangement. It means that the relationship is doesn't exist. It talks about being enemies, enemies in your minds because of evil behavior. Uh, before reconciliation, before God reconciled us, says this, therefore, and it talks about Gentiles here. So before Jesus comes, says, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, that's us, called uncircumcised by those who are circumcised. Remember that at that time, and it's talking about prior to Christ coming, and it talks about our status spiritually. It's not really good. <laughs> Let me tell you some of the things. Look at, you were separate from Christ. That's not good. Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise. So God makes covenants and we're out. We don't even count enough in the Old Testament to even make a covenant with. Um, It says without hope and without God in the world. Would you agree with me? Prior to Christ coming, we're not in really good shape, are we? (laughs) You know what I mean? There's not a lot you can say about us. We're separate from Christ. Excluded, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. And look what happened. But in Christ Jesus, you know what happened? You know what happened now. There's a word to describe what happened. And what's the word? Reconciled. Reconciled is the word. But in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ after reconciliation. Talk about a difference. Holy, without blemish. You know what blemish means? Without blame, blameless. Free from accusation, not indicted. You know what reconciliation means? God looks at you and doesn't look at your faults and doesn't look at your sins, sees you as being someone acceptable to him, He doesn't tag you with what you've done. That's not what he looks at when he sees you. And that's what 
happens with reconciliation. Reconciliation, religion had always focused on what we do to get God to respond. But reconciliation turns that on its head. We don't initiate reconciliation, God does. And he, and he does it when we are enemies and uh, estranged, alienated, when we're bad. God reconciled us when we were bad, and he revived us when we were dead. Um, it says, and if I could find the sheet that it says it on, would be good. Winging it. God reconciled us when we were dead. But it says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Um, it says that we were dead in transgressions and sins. Um, it's been said that Christianity is a crutch. A crutch isn't a really good thing for a dead person, is it? A crutch isn't really helpful. If you're dead, you're not going to need a crutch. And so for religion to be helpful, it needs to be more than a crutch. It needs to be life from the dead. And that's what this indicates. It says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of sin, we're dead to God. And because we were dead in sins, God made us alive in Christ. We need more than a spiritual reformation. We need to be dealt with in a more intense way than to be able to do better things and not to do bad things. Because our issue is not that we're not good enough. It's not that we're too bad. Our issue is that we're dead. Our issue is that we are alienated and estranged. We, we, and that's the thing that God has to fix. And that's what God accomplished on the cross. He revived us when we were dead. So he brings us into a relationship with him in Christ. And this is what he did. And so here's the question. Um, what are we supposed to do? This is the good news. And what do you do with news? You obey it, right? No, you believe it. And here's the news. God reconciled you when you were bad. Me too. He reconciled us when we were bad and revived us when we were dead. And you know what he wants us to do? He wants us to believe it because that's what you do with news. And you know what he wants? He wants it to be said so that you hear it and having heard it, he wants you to believe it. And if we believe it, guess what happens? We become united in one mind. We look around at each other. He's reconciled you. Reconciled you, he's reconciled you, he's reconciled me, he's reconciled you, 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 you. 
When you were bad, he reconciled you. When you were dead, he made you alive, made you alive, made you alive. This is stuff that happened. And you know what he wants us to do? Believe it. That's not very easy to do, though, is it? Because you hear a lot of things from up front about what you need to do to get closer to God. Guess what you can do to get closer to God? Really, there's only one thing. You can't do anything. You can believe what he did to bring you close to himself, and that's it. Can you make yourself any closer to God? Can you make yourself any more reconciled? The answer is eh, no. Wait a minute, Mike. No, if I prayed, if I prayed every morning for an hour, I'd be closer to God. Not from his perspective. You can't make the relationship better. And if you believe that, something starts to change. Something starts to happen. You know what? It starts to happen. You start to believe good news. Gospel is news to believe. That's what it says. Once you were alienated from God, were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. Through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Reconciliation becomes real when we believe it. And here's, I'm gonna, we're going to zero in on closing. If I send you that letter, you know, so you did something to offend me. Maybe I loaned you money and you didn't ever get paid it back. And I really needed it. You said, ah, nah, I'm not going to pay it back. Anyway, so there's an issue between us. And um, if I write this letter to you and you never read it, you're not going to believe that our relationship is any different because you didn't read it. And you can't believe what you haven't read. And so what's our part? We need to believe what he said. That's why it says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. If you were brought to a place where you were believing that this was true, that God reconciled you when you were bad and he revived you when you were dead, why in the world would you get pulled from some good news like that? Why, why, would you get, why do we get pulled away from that? You know what the challenge is? We are told that there's things that we can do to get closer to God. You know what? You're close if you believe, but you'll get here, you'll hear that a lot, but you'll be even closer if you read the Bible every day, but you'll be even closer if you pray every day. Now read the Bible and pray every day. Do that but not because it'll make you closer to God, but because you are already close to God. See, you can't get any closer. You know how we get moved when somebody says to us, yeah, you're closer to God, but guess what? No buts. No buts. God reconciled us when we were enemies. No buts. Period. God revived us when we were dead, period. No buts, no ifs, no clauses, no things at the end of the commercials. Well, of course, you can't hear what's going on. And then he just says a bunch of stuff that are disclaimers. No disclaimers. What is this? What this is? Good news. 
And if we believe it, you know what happens? We become a little bit less judgmental of ourselves, a little gentler with ourselves, a little bit gentler with others, become a little less harsh. Um, but God wants us to believe. I'll be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. I want you to look at that. And you know what you're not going to see there? If you, there's no ifs, there's no conditions. This is the new covenant. Do you see an if? Anybody see an if here? Okay, find the but here. Where's the but? Are there any buts? No ifs, no ands, no buts. This is what he wants us to believe. And this is good news. And if we believe it, we start to move to become one-minded. Um, so, your one mind, we've talked about this before and I close with this. When you mess up, because of what God says, here's some things I want you to think about saying to yourself. When you do something wrong, because of that verse that I heard, what verse do you remember? Remember that verse? That one right there. I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. If this is true, what it means, when you do something wrong, I want you to listen to me. God does not back away from you. He does not separate from you. Your sins cannot separate God from you. They can't. That's what this says. So, when you sin, again, talk about it with him, but here's what I want you to close with. You're still in me. And you're still with me. And good's still ahead of me. Guaranteed. Why would you do this? Because this is what unity is based on. That in Christ, we're reconciled when we were bad, revived when we were dead, and now, because it's so, this is true. And you know what he wants us to do? You know the answer by now? Believe it. Let's stand for closing prayer. And I'm going to throw in a prayer for the meal. Hope you can stick around. Get some burgers and dogs and chips and stuff like that. Nice day. We've got a great day to do this. So hope you can hang around and, and have, some, have a bite to eat. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for good news and for no ifs, ands, or buts. Hard to believe. You know, we hear about you can draw closer and this is true, but, and, but there's no buts here. This is a very direct expression of what you did. Not what we do, what you did. And you want us to believe that what you did was successful, effective. I pray that you'd help us to do that, to believe the good news. In Jesus' name, amen. And wait, okay, I've got to bless the food. Otherwise, if I don't bless it, it's going to go down and curse us. You know, so that's, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, God, thanks for the, for the food that we get to, to share and that we get to share together. In Jesus' name, amen.